Venom Computers. This is Intelligent Performance. Welcome to Intelligent Performance, where we are fanatical about excellence in human endeavor. And today, we welcome Antonia Browning, a top executive coach straight out of New York City. She is going to give us the insights, the how-abouts, the what goes on, and what it's really like to be in one of these exclusive high-end executive coaching sessions. You know, these people who spend tens of thousands of dollars having an executive coach listen to their life and help them navigate through these incredible scenarios, the high-pressure life that they leave, and then also about how you could apply some of the lessons and insights that they normally have to spend thousands of dollars on and what could you apply today in your life to make a difference. You will no doubt get huge value from this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's dive straight into what it takes to be a top performing executive coach. Antonio, thanks so much for being here. Where I'd love to kick off is actually with the title of this podcast and actually ask you, what's your take on intelligent performance in the coaching domain? Yeah. So intelligent intelligent performance in the coaching domain is number one, you can't graduate from college and become an executive coach. There has to be some life and work experience in there and enough of it that you have a bunch of relevant reference points. That would be number one. Number two, I am a huge believer. You actually need some training. And um, I, I would never hire someone to work for me that hadn't gone through a coaching program and got certified. So those are two things. And number three, I would say, because it is a very crowded field with a very low, um, um, very low bar of entry, anyone can just say they're a coach, that you really, really need to be able to articulate what your value add is. What, what makes your approach different or, or unique or uh, something that, that really differentiates you? And fourthly, I would say that every good coach I know has their own coach. It is a lifelong journey of developing and honing your coaching. And lastly, related to that is that it is a good coach is always evolving their toolkit and the perspectives they bring in and yeah, keeping it fresh, both for themselves and for their clients. Mm. So to that point, that sounds like it's easy said, but difficult to do, I would imagine, that kind of continuous ongoing development. If if you're a coach or if you're someone who's coaching others, how do you actually, how do you keep that? What's the edge look like? Is it that you keep really kind of pummeling into yourself in terms of your personal experience and your emotion and your ability to to process things? Or are you talking their ability to ask questions or to listen? What What is it? Or maybe it's there isn't a specific one, but what is that kind of like refining? You keep the edge. So yeah. is the question kind of how do you keep the edge? Yeah. Well, I think there's a few different ways. Um, <clears throat> one is to be in community. So mm. It's very important. I'm in in three different kind of coaching communities right. um, where we exchange 
you know, business points, but but often talk a, about our coaching work in a you know mm-hmm. safe, um, confidential way. So getting those different perspectives of um, colleagues is is really important. And I think also I, I'm speaking personally, but I see it with my colleagues that good coaches are evolving, right? Um, you're you're just like a good manager or a good leader. Uh, you don't learn how to delegate when you're 29 and you never evolve what that means, right? Mm. In the same way with coaching, I find that, um, number one, I'm always taking a course or right. like there's always a learning agenda. Right. And I am finding that my learning agenda is changing. And I'm going to go into detail about that, but I definitely see a tr- different trends in in the kind of learning I want to do to kind of evolve my coaching practice and make it stronger and and more potent, let's say. Yeah. Okay. So what I'd like to do, given your expertise, Antonia, and your experience in in the coaching fields, I'd love for you to kind of take us behind the scenes on as an executive coach, because you hear a lot about like it's extremely pricey to access sometimes. You know, I've heard of people yeah. charging $10,000 a month. You know, it can yeah. be a lot of people will sit there and go, cool, that sounds amazing. Imagine having someone, you know, be there and I can just download all the time and they can nav- <laughs> navigate that. And I, and I think that a lot of people who, who perhaps really want it, maybe don't have the the resources or the time to actually to do it. So take us behind the scenes. What's it actually like for people who in the in these large executive teams who are engaging? What are you finding in there? Are, they, are these people are they highly tuned or are they, you know, are they really high performers, these types of people that you're working with? Well, what's your typical profile when you come across, you know, let's say an executive? Yeah. So I I want to just make make sure I'm clear here. Do you want me to answer this from my own personal experience or Absolutely. kind of industry sort of trend? Okay, I'd say from, from yours. What's your experience? Yeah, yeah. So so I would I would start by saying there's a, a big difference in who you coach and where you coach. And and I'm going to confine this discussion to executive coaching, which by the way, it's all life coaching at the end of the day, but I'm an executive coach. I work with people who come to me through businesses or or sometimes nonprofits. I, I have one large international nonprofit client. Um, and they, uh, yeah, so they come to me with, there's always a problem. You never look for a coach when everything is going well. Uh, you just don't, right? <laughs> so there's always a reason why they're coming to you. And right. there is a big difference between working in a corporate environment, so for a Fortune 100, Fortune 500 company, or working in the startup world or early stage high growth with founders and leaders of these companies and organizations that are scaling. So right there, they're quite different experiences. Mm. And I've done both. My preference is I like founders, startups, early stage high growth, because it's more chaotic 
And usually, this is a generalization, less political because politics seem to um, multiply <laughs> with the size of the organization, right? Uh, so less political in, in, in some ways, and also more chaotic, uh, less process, less procedure. They're still inventing how things get done to a certain mm. degree. And for me, uh, I like, I do, I'm very comfortable in chaos. Um, so that's where I tend to groove, let's say. Although I do work with large corporations from time to time. It's not who I seek out. And um, so when, so the other thing is, if you work in a corporate gig, they often tend to be uh, more sort of uh, time bound. It's a four month, six month engagement. And it's usually around a very specific, oh, this person needs new skills or different skills to be promoted, or this person was promoted, but they don't have the right skill set. Let's um, not fix them, but let's help them develop the toolkit they need Mm -hmm. to be successful. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, with founders in early stage, it's a little more organic, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the way I would describe it is, first of all, it's it's incredibly emotional, right? Because this is something you've built or you're in really intimately involved in building and scaling. And it's a very emotional journey. It's also a lonely journey often because you can't, even though you're working 24-7 with these folks or, you know, long hours, you can't talk to your colleagues the way you can talk to a coach. So with founders and early stage leaders, I find the relationship lasts longer often. I find that what we do early on is identify, I would call them themes, Um, doesn't, very non-confrontational might be a theme. very um, technocratic and not good on the people side might be a theme. Right. Um, results driven at the expense of remembering there are humans involved might be a mm. theme, not any one person having all those themes. And so we pick a few themes that this person wants to progress on mm. and those get woven in and out. But we may have meetings where it's totally like um, a, a fire that needs to be put out, right? right? <laughs> um, we have a lot of those. And or, you know, an interpersonal thing that's come up yeah. um, or, you know, investor issues. But those themes are always like background music that mm. sometimes come to the forefront and I'm always relating back whatever the forest fire is or the theme or the issue of the day to the bigger picture uh, issues we'll, uh, uh, or themes we're working on. Okay. I'm going to start there. I feel like I just ran out of breath. No, it's good. And, and so is that those themes you're talking about, is that to just help ensure there's like contextual relevance to what they're quote unquote dealing with at the moment? 
or because I think what what I'm taking from your saying is that because it's such a personal emotional journey, should we say, for a founder, whilst they may start with I really think my co-founders are pain in the ass as an example, or I hate my operations manager and I wish he or she would just do more. It might start there, but obviously, really, the the core issue of that is pro- it's probably neither of those two. Maybe, maybe it is, but maybe there's there's more to it. So for you, I guess there's two questions there. It, is, it, is the theming, does that just help kind of keep it relevant for the executive you're you're working with? And secondly, how how open do you find these people are typically like is it is that part of your skill does that the vulnerability which is opened up in part of the engagement is that the responsibility of the coach or is that the responsibility of the executive in this context Mm. so i'll take those in order so what i mean by theme is i i'm thinking of a specific client who i've worked with for a few years and They started, when we first worked together, unable to confront challenging um, poor performance or or poor fit, right? That's a really big theme in Mm. scaling companies. Mm. The original team, often that skill set is outgrown and you need Mm. new people and it's very hard to let go of, of those folks, right? So this was someone who was a real conflict avoider, let's say. I would say and 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 a little bit and a little slow, like in holding people accountable and moving things along, right? Yeah. And I would say in our work together, uh, they have made like astounding progress. Not just because of me, but I'll take some of the credit. But but also because of different investors that have gone got involved. But this person has stepped up and has really, so the theme of holding people accountable and not avoiding conflict comes up over and over. And I keep weaving that back into whatever right. is going on. And also showing to them, look, remember two years ago when this went on forever? Look at how you have now dealt with, you know, this uh, chief marketing officer or this CFO that hasn't worked out. You were able to deal with that in a compassionate yet direct way in a much shorter time frame. So that's a huge win for a leader to be able to see that kind of progress and be able to kind of connect it to a theme that they've been aware of and working on for a lot of their professional life. Mm. And so does the, then coming to the second question, does the vulnerability come or if you, if you, let's say you're sat listening to this and you go, oh, maybe I wouldn't be willing to be so vulnerable or does it have to be such an emotional journey, Antonia, if, if you're going to do coaching for, for, it, for it to be effective? Mm, that is an interesting question. Uh, no, it doesn't have to be comp- uh, emotional for a coaching engagement to be successful. Mm. Do I think when, but there does have to be trust. 
So the, the difference between trust and emotionality and, and, and strong emotions, right? But there does have to be trust. And, and the reason why there has to be trust is because I think a good coach does three things. I, I, many others, but these are the three I, I kind of always talk about. Number one, I think a, a good coach through the questioning, through the kind of connecting dots, is a professional reframer. That's what I describe. I am a professional reframer. I help you see things from other perspectives, including your own, you know, narrative, right? Mm. Secondly, categorically, you need, Michael, to be able to trust and know that I am your biggest cheerleader, that there is no one who will have your back and cheerlead for you like I will. Because I got no dice in the game, right? Mm. I really don't. I care about your success. Obviously, the companies too, or whatever the context is. But thirdly, and this is kind of the very specific answer to your question about the trust and the vulnerability, I am an honest mirror back to you. I'm I'm quite direct sometimes. I think in a in and I can be that way because I we have invested in building up trust. Yeah. Right. So they hear me, but there I will give it back direct. No bullshit. You know? Mm. Like I am an honest mirror. Hey, I'm sensing X or well, can I can I give you some feedback on what I just heard you say? <laughs> or can I replay that to you how that might have felt to the other person? Yeah. But you, but that's uh like even if you're a manager and you're giving feedback or whatever the word we want to call it today, constructive advice for your future development. Um you you can't just tell someone stuff they have to be listening to you. And people only listen to each other when they feel seen and heard. And there's 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 connective tissue of trust. Connective yeah. trust tissue. Yeah. So let's talk about what it takes to perform from your perspective in this context, right? So you've got the founders, let's say, of a of an early stage startup, you're in your kind of sweet spot. How are you navigating someone who's going through, you know, a very stressful experience? Um, it's challenging. How are you? What are you doing to show up in that space? And what are the, what's the kind of preparation? And I'd like you to share, if you can, Antonia, from a, a perspective of, you know, like if you're in a company or in any capacity, you're, you're kind of they might be coaching other people, and how they might be able to actually adopt some of the approaches you're doing to actually show up as a better coach in a in an interaction. So how do I prepare to coach is, yeah. is part one of the question. And part two is how is how I prepare to coach? Can I link that to say a leader or manager who's coaching people that work for him or her? And, yeah. and, and I, I, can we transfer any of that? Yeah, correct. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Great. Well, one of the, um, so first of all, I get to know the person. So I'm going to kind of go direct links here. So 
if you're a leader or a manager, you need to know the people that report to you. You need to know them as human beings, as whole beings. I want to do the same with anyone that I coach. So I have a tool and that tool is I have an intake form that I have them complete. Now, right. I'm not saying every manager should have their new direct reports do an intake form, but what I am saying is they have to invest in a process to get to know these these folks. Okay. okay. The the other thing is I usually, not always, but but frequently start an engagement with um some kind of 360. So that's really important because if not, you tell me, well, I think my problem is I'm I'm too direct, let's say. Well, how do I know unless I get some data points from the rest of the world, right, that, that work with you? So in the same way, a leader needs to make sure that there are mechanisms for a flow of, of, of information, of perspectives, of, of perspectives about the people that work with each other. Um, I also am, I also create, and this is particular to me, a lot of coaches don't do this, but I tend to have kind of a narrative form so I like to take notes during meetings. Some coaches do not do that at all. Mm. But I like for myself, it's, it's actually how I process. And we share a Google Doc where I'm capturing key points. They can add key points. And, and then I tailor it, right, to, well, are you a kind of a, a chart guy? that we put the the coaching goals in in a chart and we work that way because that's how your mind works are yeah. you more narrative and we just keep notes but uh so that kind of refreshing and evolution of the information that we share is is important to me and linking that to being a manager a couple of things first of all you want to be having regular one-on-ones with whoever mm. reports, right? Let me just get back into that. So, sorry, Antonio, to interrupt you, but you're saying, so you're doing all of that before you're really starting to engage at a coaching perspective. So the 360, the onboarding form, is it, uh, what did you call it? Sorry. the. Uh, no, I think uh, intake form, but yeah, onboarding, that's even a better word. So you're really trying to understand what the picture of that that person from or kind of get different perspectives on that person to kind of really understand first yeah no sorry uh, let me let me say that so my preference is to do a 360 early in an engagement but i don't always for a variety of reasons sometimes just logistical um but i may do that after the first or second or third meeting sometimes it's after a couple of months if it's going to be kind of a longer engagement so i'm doing that and and as as part of our goal setting process right because it is really important with any coaching engagement when you start to have some goals 
that yeah. you and with long-term clients those goals change the themes usually evolve but the goals change yeah and um and so but starting with like a clear sense of okay what are the two or three things that we are going to be working on that comes from the onboarding form from what the client says to me and yeah. also from external perspectives it's like mixing it all up together to get as complete a picture as possible and by the way probably a personality assessment right to really um hone in on our goals interesting so how does that hone in on a goal surely that just gives you a broader picture about the person well no you'll you'll start to see themes right you'll start yep. to see um in the 360 you, i I don't think I've ever done one where I didn't thematically see things. Right. Um, the personality assessment is another piece. And also what what you, the client, think you want to work on. Mm, okay. Um, it, it, I mean, that's kind of, it's a very bespoke process, but mm -hmm. the tools are are quite clear cut in a way. But then you sort of weave it all together. And by the way, you know, a 360 may come out with five or six things, right? Mm. But you go where the energy is and you 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 meet your client where they are. You don't impose your own agenda on them. Mm. It's it's their learning journey. They are driving the car. You're helping to navigate. Oh yeah. Interesting. And so let's get into then how are you showing up? What are you doing to prepare personally to show up as a, to be someone who isn't bringing their agenda in and is someone who can be of service? Because I think it's super easy to bring your own filter, your own lens, like, ah, oh, this is the classic American here who's, you know, wants to be the next big shot and, you know, all that kind of judgment, that all kind of, whatever you might, that, that can easily cloud your interaction. So how are you coming into that and trying to set that to one to one side, as it were? Yeah, yeah. Well, th there's no easy uh, answer to this. I think there are different elements of it. Um, so these are not in order of priority, but one is you're, you you do get training and 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 the training is sort of in how to show up right and there there is a difference and and it it is about having a kind of innate curiosity and and really being very clear what your role is so in the purest sense a coach never advises in the purest sense of coaching you michael have all the answers inside yourself i'm helping you access them well i'm then not a purist coach because i think my clients are also paying me uh because of my experience both as a coach and in the rest of my life because mm. of the training i do because of the skill set i've evolved to sometimes advise sometimes give a strong perspective on something and and sometimes just to ask questions and and not get involved but i i kind of wield those tools a little differently 
depending on the client, depending on the situation, depending on the context. Um, but the other thing I will say is, you know, you like, I'm not a therapist. I'm very clear on that. But you can't stay in a place of empathy as a coach because, you know, what empathy means is I'm feeling what you feel, but that is very tiring, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's, that's exhausting. That's, yeah. that's how you get burnout, right? Every, so I think of what a coach does is the next step up, which is, yes, you have to have the empathy, but then you need to move to what I would call the compassion. And by compassion, I mean, recognize the feelings, but then take a step back to create some space and think about action, right? What, it, what is the action I can, which could be questions, or maybe the action is to absolutely do nothing, yeah. just hear them. But yeah. I differentiate empathy from compassion. And well, I think good coaches are compassionate, but being empathetic is not enough. And in terms of actual prep, like if you've got an hour session, yeah. say with a client, yeah. what, does, what does preparation look like in this space? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It uh, Well, first of all, it's also like the longer answer there is, it's also my own practices of right. meditation. Okay. It is my own practices of, if I know there's a certain issue we're looking at, reading about it. I don't have every answer in my head. Mm. Um, being able to refer you to not 10, but maybe one or two good articles about something. Right. So, and then the my own preparation is uh, sometimes I'm backed up like one to another and I do my prep the night before and I review the notes and I always send an email saying, confirming tomorrow uh, we were talking about X and had discussed continuing it. Anything else you want to bring into the agenda? Oh. And, and often people don't say anything but it gets them thinking oh yeah right. it's tomorrow oh yeah what some people send me um bits and pieces and then after a meeting what i usually do is um send them the notes immediately like in the, within a day and they are usually quite brief they're not everything i but just here are some key points. Here's what you said you were going to try or do yeah. or read or whatever. And then I usually schedule um, an email to go to them halfway between our meetings as a prompt, a reminder. Hey, just checking in on XYZ. Yeah. Right. And are you using that from a personal level to ke to keep you in the loop? Or is that more you see your role as a, as a way to... Yeah, to prompt, to nudge, to kind of ensure the elevated. Yeah, yeah. Okay, the latter more than the former. Okay. Yeah. And so I'm Antonia. I'm intrigued by your answer there because you've just released the book Coach Yourself, and some might say that's an oxymoron. Like it's almost impossible to coach yourself, and and especially in terms of what you've just shared. I'm curious. Given you've seen the impact and how powerful it is having an external perspective, how do you 
what's your thinking here in terms of the coaching yourself component? Do, do you think are you trying to retire yourself and and every coach in the industry, or is it is or is there something else in this? Yeah. Well, I wrote that book because I do believe that coaching should be and can be democratized and that it shouldn't just be available for people who have corporations that pay for it or people who are wealthy enough to pay for it. Though I want to just as a sidestep, I do want to say I do think there are moments in our lives, moments in our work lives, where investing in a in a in a coach is a huge, huge example of self-care. I really do. I think there are moments, I can think of moments in my life when I wish I'd had one. Um, Instead of fumbling through and it taking me much longer to fumble through. But having said that, so with that caveat, I do think you can absolutely 100% categorically coach yourself. Mm. And you need to be motivated. You need to be curious. You need to have embraced a learning mindset for yourself. And and I think, look, I think we all, our characters are a little different. And that is really something we can all evolve. So this book, if I could tell you my ideal, my ideal is that this book is given to you when you start working. Right. And 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 it sits on your shelf and you know to pull it out. Oh gosh, I've got a hard conversation coming up. Yeah. Oh, there's a bunch of frameworks in here. Let me look at them more. Oh gosh, what was that vision exercise? That was really good. I did that when I was like changing jobs. It's time to do it again. Or mm-hmm. oh man, I'm coaching my first team. How does that, what do I do? Yeah, right. Now, but I want to say the majority of people I coach are C-suites, right? So while I think there's some like timeless evergreen frameworks in this book to coach yourself, they're just as relevant when you move up the ladder Mm. because we forget. And because we need reminding and because yeah. we're always evolving these skill sets. And if you think of these frameworks as recipes, not rigid, like, oh my God, if I don't build the building this way, it will fall down. But mm-hmm. as recipes that you can bring your own personality and and taste to. Then, then it becomes something you can always use as scaffolding to keep developing your own skills and your own um, the the way you show up. So, if you're being your question, yeah, I'd say so. Uh, and I'm okay. curious. It sounds like it's like a, a 101, almost like a textbook reference guide manual. Dip into. It's not a matter of sit down. Oh, I've read it. You know, 200 pages later. That was an interesting read. It, it's more of a, it's, it sounds far more active than that. Um, you can tell me otherwise, Antonio, but I'm curious if you had to pick one in terms of like the most impactful 
mm. approach or tool that someone can utilize in their careers. And I just want you to kind of envisage, like, let's talk about like an exec or, or maybe actually no, maybe not. Let's talk about a middle manager, someone who is mm. finding it mm. tricky, not mm. not experiencing success mm. in their career right now. Mm. What do yeah. you what what do you think that is like the, the most kind of powerful thing? And maybe something you turn to on one of your darker days where you go, oh man, this this is hard. Yeah. What's your go-to in that space? Yeah. Uh, super easy. Super easy for me to answer that. It would be the actor-spectator framework. Right. And I use it in absolutely every single coaching engagement. I use it in my own life. I tell my sons to remember it. And... It, it, what it really boils down to is you do have agency. You really do. And you cannot let the external context or environment dictate to you the, the, the situation. You, you have to be proactive versus reactive. You have to feel you have agency. And, and there's lots of different ways to, to, to think about how to build up that that sense, but it really is about a mindset shift. Um, I think it's very natural and normal and absolutely healthy to first start by saying, oh my God, what can I do? This is being done to me. It's a very natural way to begin, but you can't mm. stop there. You have to then say, wait a second. No, I control my mind. I can I have the power to think about how I respond to this. And just by opening up your mind to the fact that there are options, even if the option is your own mental reframe, mm. um, I think that's the most powerful framework in, in the book. And so you said actor, spectator. Is that what you said? Yeah. And so that's talk. And look, forgive me. I always get stuck on this agency word in terms of it loses me as to what it means. Translate it for me into something a bit just not that word. Is it? Are you talking about we've all got options? Is that what you're trying to say? We all have the power and the possibility to have proactivity in how we respond to something. Right. So yeah, we always have options. Always. Even if those options are, um, let's say I'm in a shitty job, but there are reasons why at this moment I can't leave it. Mm. I can, I have the, I'm trying not to use the word agency. I have the <laughs> ability to reframe that and say, I am a really good mother. Mm. I am here for the next two years because... I want to get my family financially through this hurdle mm. and I choose to do this. I do this from love for my family and I reframe this experience that way. Mm. That's what I mean. Okay, cool. I love that. And the actor spectator is that the actor is the one who's, is that taking, encouraging someone t to step out? And look, look at their life. To be the player in their life. Right. To be the player, not just, you know, how many people have you heard say, well, 
you know, I don't know, they sort of told me to do that, so I just did it. Or, you know, everything was against me. Mm. Or, you know, it's everyone else's fault but yours. Mm. You, you, it's never everyone else's fault, but <laughs> you always <sighs> are a player in it. And, and you got to own that. Yeah, I'm with you. There's a lot of people who walk through life having everything done to them. And yeah. I think it's really tragic. Yeah. But I just want to be clear here, Michael. I, I do need to make one point. I am not talking about toxic agency where, you know, everybody can do whatever they want I, with no, you know, um, obstacles. I, I yeah. am not saying that. I am not that naive. I mean, this is a harsh world and not everybody has the same chance and different people have different obstacles in their lives. And I am absolutely aware of that and, um, and, and do what I can to be part of dismantling that. At the other, at, on the other hand, I don't believe that encouraging a victim mentality is helpful. Mm, yeah, I can totally, totally agree with that. Well, Antonio, I think um, it might be a very powerful place to leave this conversation. And I think um, with your wealth of experience, it sounds like you've distilled down a lot of the insights and a lot of the, let's say, privilege that CEOs, uh, C-suite, get access to. And I think it's is the... Yeah, it's often for those who need it, maybe, I don't know if I want to say it the most, but it's sometimes restricted access. Sure. And, and I think that's what I love about the, this book in terms of how you're, how you're approaching it. And it sounds like just giving some real practical tools for people to apply um, as they need it. So we're going to link the, the Coach Yourself book to the, into the show notes so people can access it, access, access it easily. Antonio, quick question. Where's the best place to, for people to connect with you if that's something they want to do? I'm listening to you know, share your insights on, on this podcast. Sure. Thanks, Michael. So LinkedIn is just my name, Antonio Bowring. Uh, I have a website. Uh, I would have named my website differently today than I did then, but um, <laughs> 10 years ago, it's ab-strategies.com, sure. uh, strategies with an I-E-S, and you know you can leave me a message there. You can um, find my book there or on Amazon, and, um, and if you... We didn't talk much about ADHD, but if you want to hear what I have to say about ADHD, you can find me on um, TikTok, Antonio cool. Bowring963. Awesome. Well, and forgive me, that's probably my bad, Antonio, for not going into that, but perhaps maybe that could be around two in terms of looking at nationality in terms of yeah. Yeah, working with people in that space. So, um, well, look, thank you so much for being on here, Antonia. It's been an absolute pleasure talking about uh, behind the scenes of executive coaching. Um, it certainly helped kind of shift some perspectives from my side. And um, yeah, I hope it's been a, uh, a valuable time for the listener too. Beautiful. Thanks, Michael. 